0: you are listening to the summit church garden city podcast our vision is to treasure christ above all else and live for more Uh, i want to share with you a true story Um, one one guy brought a co-worker named mike to church now mike was uh not all to say this but he was he was a pretty rough guy just to give you an example mike's first time at church when he got into the parking lot, he texted his friend from the parking lot and he, and he texted, what the bleep bleep do I do now? Like, do I come in, do you come and get me? So you can kind of get an idea of he was a pretty rough guy. Now the awesome part is that Jesus saved Mike. Praise God, right? Mike, Mike is saved. And Mike was ready to get baptized. And now Mike showed up late on baptism Sunday and asked the pastor if he could play a Sarah McLachlan song. How many people know who Sarah McLaughlin is? There we go, yeah. Just the older people kind of know who she is. Not, not, a, not a Christian artist by any means, all right? And obviously the pastor said, no, Mike, we're not going to do that. <laughs> How about a song by the rock band Journey? Can, can I do one of those songs? Uh, again, again, the pastor said, no, Mike, we're going to do our normal worship songs. You know, we have our own repertoire, you know. And so when Mike gave his testimony... And we're going to hear that from Virginia today. When Mike gave his testimony, the pastor was so relieved that he used no profanities. He's like, ooh, that was close, right? Because Mike was pretty rough. He was new to Christianity, and that's fine. And he was so relieved that Mike didn't use any, you know, profanities in his testimony. But just before he got into the water of baptism, Mike drops his pants and takes his shirt off. It happened so fast that everyone, including the pastor, was taken off guard, taken out by surprise, and they did not know what to do. Everyone just froze. Like, what, what just happened here? So the pastor just dunked him really quickly. After a second of being froze, he just grabbed him, dunked him, and then he said, Mike, you're good. Just put a towel around and just kind of pushed him towards the changing room. You're, you're good to go, Mike. Go and change, right? Later, Mike told the pastor... That he wanted to be baptized the same way he was born, naked before the Lord. It is what it is. Now, why do I share this story with you? Well, baptism is vitally important. Now, I'm going to touch a little bit on that this morning. Because it's something that Jesus commanded us to do. But I'm afraid that we might be underestimating it. (laughs) Or when we think of baptism... Uh, you know, what comes to mind is a funny story, and that's about it, kind of like Mike's story. But baptism is vitally important. So important that Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. this is the first gospel. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, you can say it like this baptism is as important as the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is this command by Jesus to all of us to go and and share the good news of the gospel, right? So baptism is as important as the Great Commission because it's part of the Great Commission. And so when it comes to baptism, the word of God is very, very clear about baptism and how important it is. As followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, after a decision to receive Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, man, we need to get baptized. And yet the fact is that there are many Christians, many people who say, I love God, I love God, I follow God, who have never been baptized before. And you may ask, why is that? Since it's so clear in the Bible, why is that? Well, as far as I can tell, There are four reasons why a person who calls themselves a Christian has not been baptized yet. And I want to go through them really quickly because I believe that this points to the gospel. Do we really get the gospel or we don't? So let's start with maybe the most obvious one. And the first reason is that people do not understand the importance of it. They just don't. They just don't know how important it is. And maybe they haven't been taught what the Bible says about baptism. They should. Maybe the church that they belong to is not really a gospel-centered church, right? There's a lot of churches like that, quote-unquote churches, right? And one of my goals is that by the end of the message today, we understand how important it is. And that's because it illustrates and it's a picture of the gospel, And and not that, you know, not because I'm saying that it's important, but because you see the word of God over and over and over again that the Bible says this is incredibly important and that believers, followers of Jesus Christ, people that realize that are broken and depraved apart from Jesus that have received the gift of forgiveness would get baptized. So they don't think it's important. The second reason that I want to mention to you Why people who say love Jesus or call themselves Christian do not get baptized, I would say because they are more committed to a church tradition than they are to the word of God. And there's so many traditions that we elevate. Some churches or a lot of churches elevate more than they do the word of God. And that is a no-no. And to give you an example, maybe their family belongs to a tradition that baptizes babies. I'm sure you've heard that, that people baptize babies. And by the way, there's definitely some debate about this in the Christian world, but when it comes to baptizing infants or babies, this is what the word of God says, and it's very clear. Now, we don't only see it here in the passage that I'm going to read to you, but in other passages as well. So Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, this is what it says. If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Four, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with, one, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's clear to me that we need to know what, 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 what we're doing when we get baptized. We need to be aware of what we're doing when we get baptized. Again, Christianity is not a religion. It is not. But a relationship with the creator of the universe. Also, the Bible makes it crystal clear that we are saved. How? By grace alone, through faith alone. So it sounds to me that we should only baptize people when they are old enough to make a decision, a declaration of faith. And it's sad because people will be more committed to a church tradition than they are to the word of God. It's sad because the Bible says nothing about baby baptism or infant baptism. So we don't baptize babies, but we do dedicate babies. We do pray for them because we should pray for them. Amen? Now, here's another reason why people that call themselves Christian do not get baptized. I think it really comes down to pride. It really does. It really comes down to pride. They've gone so long without getting baptized. So for them to get baptized now after 10 years or five years would be a public profession of a long term of either disobedience or just ignorance. Man, man, I don't want to do it right now. Everyone's gonna find out, right? And it would be a very humbling experience to say, man, you know, you, you know I haven't done this, but now after so many years, I need to get back to this. No, pride and pride keeps them from pursuing this important step and they just don't do it. It's sad, it's really sad. So pride. And the last one, the last reason, which I believe is the most sobering reasons of, of all, is this? It's because they thought they were Christian, but they are not. They thought they were Christian, but they're not. Because they really aren't a Christian. There is no moving of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, in their lives, that would convict them, that would compel them to fulfill the commands of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, what? You will obey and keep my commandments, if you love me. But some people, including a lot of people that call themselves Christian, have no desire for a water baptism and for a public profession of faith or to obey the commands of Christ. Because honestly, they are not a Christian. They just want to hang out maybe with Christians because they're cool. At least some of them, right? <laughs> or they just want to add Christ. They want to add Jesus to their, own, to their life. It's just kind of, like, kind of like an accessory. We'll just add Jesus to, you know with other religions and other beliefs that that I have, right? Let me just remind us again that baptism is a command. It's not an option. It's a command. It's not something that you do when you feel ready. Oh, I feel it right now, so I'm going to get baptized. No, it's something that you do when you've been saved. Big difference. It's something that you do as soon as you've been saved. I'm even going to say this. It's not even something that you fully need to understand in order for it to be valid, as we're going to see in just a few seconds. As soon as you've been saved, you get baptized. That's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. And again, I say it again, the Bible is our ultimate authority, right? That's why we want to read our Bibles and study our Bibles and see what the Bible says. What I'd like to do for the remainder of the message is get more of the gospel, right? But, but maybe post some questions and then provide the answers for these questions. And hopefully when we're all said and done, we'll understand the gospel a little bit more. And then we'll be able to talk to people about the priority of baptism. And if you've not been baptized yet, you yourself will see the value of getting baptized. I hope that's the case, but I encourage you, do not put it off. And the first question that we need to ask is this, and maybe you had this question at some point in time. You just walked in here today, you have no idea of, you've never walked into a church before, never heard of what baptism is, so this is it. We're answering this question, what is baptism? Well, from a physical point of view, baptism is a, is a ceremony, it's, it's, a, it's a celebration during which a person in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is immersed in the water. Is submerged into water. That's what baptism is from a physical point of view. Now, the primary word that is used in the Greek language, because the New Testament was written in, in Greek first, right, is the word baptizo, to baptize. Why, why, why am I saying that? Why is that important for, to, to remind you guys or to tell you today? Well, this word is used 77 times in the New Testament. And it always, always means to dip Completely to submerge, to immerse, or even to drown, okay? John Calvin said it like this, the word baptize means to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the early church because they understood the same in the same way that the Bible is clear about a full dip, right? In fact, taking it a step further in the Greek, the word baptizo, baptize, is never used in the passive. What do I mean by that? In other words, never it is said that water is baptized on someone, such as sprinkling or a dabbing, dabbing their head or pouring on someone. People, people are always baptized into water. I'm thinking of um, anyone seen um, Nacho Libre? <laughs> That, yeah, that scene in the, in the change room where he just, from the back, boom, just, just forces his head into that whatever bowl of water. You're baptized. No, it does, it's not that. No, people are always baptized into water. It's not a dabbing. It's not a sprinkling. Now, all of that to say this. You may say, I made a profession of faith at some point in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was sprinkled. I would encourage you to be baptized by immersion in water. It's the New Testament pattern, and it's important. Let me give you an example of this, just to show you that I'm not making this up. Acts chapter eight, verses 36 to 38. And this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. If you know the story, if you don't, that's fine. And Philip, the disciple, let me just read it and, and, and uh, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, see, here, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both, him and Philip, both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So this is, again, a story where Philip shares with this Ethiopian guy the book of Isaiah, the gospel message, what they had at that time. And, they, and the guy believes and then immediately decides to follow Jesus, right? And says, what prevents me from getting baptized? And what we notice is that they both went down into the water and they came up out of the water. So they were baptized into the water. It wasn't a sprinkling. It wasn't a, a dabbing of the head, right? This is a full immersion, a full submersion. That's the New Testament pattern of baptism. And we want to be faithful to that. And you will see this over and over again. In the New Testament. Now you may ask, and this is a great question to ask, what's the purpose of baptism? Well, why are you guys doing this? Why are you guys doing this? Well, baptism is important. And not only because it's a command, and that should be enough reason that Jesus commanded it, right? But in one sense, it's a public declaration of faith, right? A public declaration of your new identity in Christ. And when we get baptized, we're pretty much saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a disciple. And you're doing it publicly. And it, also, it is also an illustration of what happened to you in Christ. It is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. I'll say that again. It is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible says this just again to show you that I'm getting this from the Bible. We were buried, therefore, with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How beautiful is that? So when we get baptized, we're identifying with Christ, and more specifically, that we are buried with Christ in baptism, Old us is buried with Christ, old Ovi no longer lives, he's dealt with, he's done, right? And then we are raised to a newness of life, a a brand new life, a new way of thinking, a new way of making decisions, a new way of doing relationships, new desires, a godly way of talking to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, and all of that because now we have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, we're in Christ now, and all, all that we do, we do it for the glory of God, we're a new creation. And the principle that we see here is this. At salvation, we are no longer united with Adam. Remember Adam, our great, 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 great grandfather? We're united at salvation with Christ, and that's what it symbolizes. And just as Adam sinned in the garden, right, the fall, it's like what happened to Adam happened to us. That's why everybody is born a sinner, that's why every human being on planet earth is born in sin. We all have a major problem, right? Right off the gecko, our, we are depraved apart from Christ. So when Adam sinned, we sinned. Simply put, we inherited Adam's nature. Even the Bible says we, they, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm not sure if you picked this up when reading through the book of Romans, beautiful book in the New Testament, But the Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Anyone read that? Isn't that beautiful? So we have the original Adam who sinned and didn't live for God, right? And we inherited his nature. Thank you very much, Adam. And then the Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam who lived for God. So when we put our faith in Jesus, whatever happened to Jesus, it's as if it happened to us. When he died on the cross, it's like we died. Our old, old self died. He was, when he was resurrected, it's like we were resurrected to a new life. Now, we said all of that, I know it was a lot, but to say that baptism is a picture of that. And you will find this not only in Romans 6, let me give you another example, Colossians 2.12, this is what it says. The same idea, having been buried with him, with Christ, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when you go under the water, that's a picture of what happened to you in a spiritual sense. When When you came to Christ, you died The old man died, the old you died. And don't forget, you were raised again to a brand new life in Christ. And the cool part is that baptism illustrates that beautiful picture. And by the way, baptism is only the beginning of this life, not the finish line, not the end. The beginning of your new life in Christ, kind of like a baby Christian. The Bible even refers to this as the, the new birth, being born again. The learning of how to live this life in Christ now, it starts now. The making decisions in a way that honors God and blesses us starts now, right? Now, let's go to the next question. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? It's a pretty good question, right? Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Some people actually say that and believe that, which is wrong. It's not biblical, and that's what I'm going to approve with the Bible. Uh, That baptism, they see that baptism in water is what saves us. To give you an example, the Church of Christ, if you heard of uh, their denomination teaches that that water baptism saves you, not biblical. The key verse that they use for this, and they they call it a baptismal regeneration or salvation. It's Mark sixteen sixteen, and this is what Mark sixteen sixteen says. But check this out: Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, let me ask you this question: What is the operative word in this verse? exactly believe it's not the word baptized it's the word believe because it says if you believe you are saved if you don't believe you are condemned you are not saved the issue is belief and not baptized now you could say this the relationship of baptism to salvation is similar to the relationship of obedience to salvation if you are saved you will obey christ not perfectly but there's a pattern of that there will be a pattern of that in your life. If you are saved, there will be fruit from your life that will reflect your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, James puts it this way. Faith without works is what? Dead. If a man says that I have faith, but I don't have works, well, I believe in Jesus and I really don't care. I'm gonna just continue living my life in sin and I don't care. James says, can such a faith save you? No because that's not a valid, vibrant faith. No, the reality is that there is a faith that doesn't save us, and that's kind of like just lip service. Hey, I believe. No, you don't. You're just saying it from your lips. That's it. But a living in a vibrant faith is one that is reflected in us living out the life that God has for us, living in obedience to God, living in God's will, bearing fruit, and not with perfection again. Far from that. Of course, but with the eye of dedication, saying, Lord, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. I want to do what pleases you, Lord. And if you ask me to do something, I'm going to do that. And baptism, guess what? Is the first thing that he asks us to do. Huh, how interesting. The early church, so this is going back 2,000 years, the early church understood exactly what we're talking about here. Peter, probably heard of Peter, right? preaches the first sermon in the book of Acts. This is after Jesus resurrected, ascended, right? The promise of the Holy Spirit came over them. So, and Peter preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people believe, right? And guess what? 3,000 people get baptized in the early church. In fact, baptism was immediately linked to salvation. So much so that baptism and salvation became synonymous it was a package deal. You see an example of this in Ephesians 4, 5, and it says, you know what? It says, one Lord, one faith, one, self, one baptism. Whoa, that's kind of out of place. Why would you use one baptism? Actually, you know, it's not out of place because what they meant by it was one Lord, one faith, one salvation. That's what they meant. Because once you were saved, you were baptized. Because baptism and salvation were immediately linked. And for them, it was a package deal. You get one, you get the other. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Do you know what Jesus meant by that? He meant bring them to salvation. Bring them to me. I want to have a relationship with them. I want to change their life. And what was understood was bring them to salvation, which will be demonstrated in a willingness to be baptized. If you're not willing to get baptized, then you have to face the fact that you may be disobeying God at the most basic element of salvation or discipleship. And to be honest with you, you... um, You have to question at that point whether or not you're saved. Listen, I'm not trying to be ugly about this. I just want to be truthful about this. Right, but but let's be honest. Clearly, the Bible calls us to be baptized. And if you call yourself a Christian, if you're not willing to get baptized, and you've never been baptized, at some point, once you have that information, now you have it today, <laughs> and you say, I don't care and you know what anyone says, I'm not gonna get baptized. Then at that point, you have to wonder if you're actually saved, if you actually believe. Because in Luke 46, 6, and this is a gut-wrenching verse. These are the words of Jesus Christ. You know what he says? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I ask? A different passage says, I never knew you. Who are you again? Listen, I'm going to say this with all the conviction that I have. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, plus or minus absolutely nothing. Amen? Baptism does not save you. But it does demonstrate your willingness to obey Christ. Amen? Now, here's the last question. When should I be baptized? When should I do it? I think I believe. When should I do it? Well, this is what happens to a large portion of Christians. They try to delay their obedience. But let me just say this. A delayed obedience often results in disobedience. And there's nothing more that the devil loves. Because what will probably happen is as soon as you say no to that conviction, to that pull, to that nudge, next time that conviction won't be as strong. And if you say no to that as well, next time you will barely feel anything. And it's not about feeling, but at that point, you may just disqualify yourself and say, that's, that's it, God doesn't love me anymore, I messed up big time, I'm done, I'm dealt with, forget it, forget about church and Jesus and all of that. We'll say stuff like this as well. Well, I'm going to have to think about it and see. But what is there to think about? (laughs) You either believe or you don't. Which one is it? And then you either decide for the Lord or you do not. Well, I'm just going to, I just want to understand it more. Do you realize that in the New Testament, there's nothing about, we'll have some baptism classes for the next few months, and and then we'll reassess, see if you understand it, and and then we'll just, you know, all the complexities of of baptism, and then we'll see what what we're going to do, right? Let me just say this. Baptism has to do with accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the gospel into your life. That's it. The Bible does not prescribe that you and I fully understand baptism and the complexities of baptism before we are baptized. Because baptism in itself is not your personal experience, though it is an experience that you're going to have, but it's about Jesus and the gospel and your personal obedience to Jesus Christ. To that end, as soon as you believe, as soon as you're saved, as soon as a person comes to Jesus, they should be baptized. Biblically speaking, that is the record. Let me just give you an example of that. Acts 2, 37 to 41. This is that famous sermon by Peter, the first sermon after you know, the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, coming into the heart and the life of a Christian. Acts 2, 37 to 41. Now, when they heard this, 3,000 people, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, meaning they were convicted by their sin, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, meaning Turn away. Just turn around. Just leave your old life and follow Christ. That's it, right? And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and there, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they heard the word, and then they were baptized that day. When they believed, they were baptized. It wasn't like Come back next month. We'll reassess you. We'll see what's going on. See if you still want to do it. See if you still, you know, you you feel it. No, it's like you got saved. You believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you? Do you believe that he died in your place to forgive your sin and to bring you into a relationship with God? Do you believe that God has a new life for you to live now? A life of holiness set apart for him? Great. Let's get you baptized. You're ready. Let me... Sum it up this way. Scripture commands every believer to be baptized. That's clear. And when you obey God, and when you say, God, if you said it, I'm going to do it, when you say, God, I, I believe that Jesus, I, I understand. I believe what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe that I'm broken and sinful and I'm so ready to dump all of my sin at the foot of the cross. And because I'm in such a need of forgiveness, Lord, I believe the gospel. Then guess what? You are ready to be baptized. What, what is the gospel anyways? We kept on talking about the gospel. What is that? I'll put it in a sentence. The gospel is the incredibly mind-blowing news that Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all of his enemies so that there is now no condemnation, no wrath of God coming for us but only everlasting joy, living the new life that he provides. That's kind of like what the gospel is. And then the whole Bible, because we have a pretty thick book, is knit together. It comes together because of this central message, the good news of the, of the, of, of the gospel. But, but let me just say this as well. Did you know that you cannot outgrow The gospel, you can never outgrow the gospel, the need for the gospel. You never, never outgrow your need for the gospel. Don't you think, you know, of the gospel as, man, that's the way that you get saved, and then you kind of move on, and you're you're strengthened by, I don't know, leaving the gospel aside and doing something else. No, 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 no. We are strengthened by God through the gospel every single day till the day we drop, You never outgrow the need to preach to yourself this amazing news and to preach to others this. That's why we even come to church so we can preach to each other. Hey, there's some incredibly mind-blowing news. The son of God came and died for us. We were depraved apart from Christ, but now we have a new life in Christ, new hope, new desires, new life. And by the way, This is how the gospel strengthens us, because we're kind of talking about that. Here's an illustration, And, and I use it not because it's any big deal to speak from my life, but because it's what I walked through and where I most experienced the power of the gospel to make us strong. Just a small example. A few years back, I went through a dark season of my life. Quite a few years back, it lasted about three years I'm not going to go into detail, but the point is that my world was absolutely shattered. My heart was absolutely shattered. And as I was going through that season, God held on to me. God strengthened me by the power of the gospel. And there were two verses that spoke to me in that season. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 10. And this describes how the gospel holds on to us tight. In this passage, believe me, it's it's just as pure gospel as you can get. And check this out. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. When you go through suffering and you get a glimpse of this truth, and you realize that God has not destined you for wrath, but for salvation, when you realize that you are his now, and that everything that happens in your life, God will actually use it for your good, when you understand that God is infinitely good and sovereign and perfect control of every detail in your life, when you get that, when you understand that, it's settled, peace like a river. Yeah, sure. You may have to fight for that peace in prayer, to fight for that faith. Sure, sure, there's a bit, until you get the taste of it. But once you know in your knower that the promise is God will deliver you from death or through death, it's settled, peace like a river. Because church, the point of this life is not living for ourselves it is not that person is died with Christ. we these ladies are bearing that person that lives for themselves. They're bearing him today. At least it's an illustration of that. So the point of this life is not living for ourselves, but for the glory of God. And by the way, our goal is heaven, is not this life. Our goal is heaven. So be encouraged, Christian. God will deliver us to be with Him for an eternity. And he will deliver us to that, for that goal, through death or from death, through suffering or from suffering sometimes. But until we get there, the gospel is perfect for our everyday needs. The gospel is perfect for our everyday needs. That's just the gospel, perfectly timed, perfectly applied, perfectly suited to my need. Again, that's why the Bible is so thick, because, because there are so many different needs that we have on a daily basis, and there are suitable places where the gospel is unfolded for you as I read in this book, as I study this book, as I immerse myself in the word of God, and you should too. Always, though, with an eye for what Christ has fashioned for me, always with an eye for what Christ has bought for me and purchased for me at the cross, If that's the case, he will give you what you need. And that is a promise. Now, I know that there are people here maybe who are not trusting Jesus Christ. And because of that, sadly can only expect condemnation and the wrath of God. And this is the beautiful gospel that Jesus came. So we're depraved apart from Christ, but Jesus came to die in our place, to die for our sin so that now he can wrap us in his righteousness so that now the wrath of God is not coming for us anymore. It deviated from us and it fell on Christ. That's the whole purpose of the cross of Jesus dying in our place. So I'm just gonna plead with you here at the end, lay down your rebellion, lay down your pride. And simply embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God who died in your place and the forgiveness of sins that we all so need in a right standing with a holy and a perfect God come freely, freely through him alone, by faith alone. And when you accept that, When you fully believe that, when you realize that you have been the problem, that I have been the problem, and Jesus is the solution, the way, the truth, and the life, and you decide to follow Jesus, fully surrender to him, you're ready to get baptized. I plead with you. This is the most loving thing that I can say right now. Don't try to be strong in your own strength. It will not be there when you most need it. Only one strength will be there, the strength that God gives according to the gospel. Don't put it off. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray for us this morning. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.